Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. This week, our guest is Shara Frank, a mosaic master. She tells us all about her art form of making beautiful things from little pieces of tiling glass. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, what y'all been up to? Hey, hey. Hey, what's happening? Not too much. Austin, feel like we haven't seen you in a while. What have you been doing? Uh, just, you know, influencing and uh, laying back in the cut. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Chrissy, anytime I, I don't do know like what that a, means. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, it's, go ahead. Anyways, um, yeah, so I've been doing a bunch of uh, machining. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but I broke my lathe, Chuck. Oh, um, this, wow. It was like a week and a half ago um, that I did the video about it. I actually broke it quite a bit earlier. Ooh. And so basically I, I had this gigantic piece of copper in there way bigger than what I should have been trying to cut unsupported. And copper is ba- it's so gummy. Like it just wants to grab a cutter. And uh, so I was doing something I shouldn't have done. And I was also, um, you know, not paying attention. I, I'm a little bit uh, distracted when I work and I think I was looking at the TV. <laughs> and so like I hit this wrong switch to send it and I just fucking sent it home, man. And it, um, it just was like, whoa, cause it was like a 25 pound piece of copper. Like it was oh no joke. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, wham against the back of the lathe. And I was like, Oh, sh-, you know, uh, shit. And I, I'm like, that's it. Everything's broke. Like, you know, cause it was like a, a, a very severe sound. <laughs> so I shut it all down. And when, when I went, to, I was like, Oh man, I guess it just ripped because like the copper, when it hit, it just ripped it out of the chuck jaws. So you could see where the chuck jaws like scratched it, you know, just, it looked like you just gouged fingernails off the end of it. And, uh, I was like, man, well, let me screw my lathe chuck in, you know, to, to, uh, close the jaws and it wouldn't move. Uh, oh, and no. I was like, Oh shit. And so when I looked, it didn't look like anything until I started looking really close and the chuck body is actually made out of cast iron and um it had cracks coming from the corners where the jaws are meshed in yeah. and uh so chuck jaws are actually hardened steel so they're like knife steel basically um you know so, so they hold up to where they don't they don't so they don't get um marred marred or even uh worn out like sure. you know because they, they don't make wear. the lathe right yeah. exactly and so you take something like a big 25 pound piece of copper, whack the shit out of one of the jaws into cast iron, and it's going to go into the, like it went into the yeah, cast the iron. shock went into the cast iron. Right. And so not only that, the jaw went in. And so I ended up just, you know, taking it apart with a hammer, <laughs> like bashing it with a lead hammer uh, to get it apart. And then I went in and filed it all out. And I was like, ah, it seems like it's working fine. And so this week, uh, I was doing some videos and I was going to try to show where you, uh, how you can use different things behind the part that you're working on in the chuck and, um, use it to make it run true. Right. And everything I did because I was using a piece of aluminum, that's two inches, which was the size of what I was using when it crashed, the chuck under two inches is good to go because it has support on both sides. Once you get past that two inch mark, it's into those grooves. And one of the jaws, the one that busted the crack is loose at that point. Oh, man. and, um, so it, in person, I never really noticed it, but when I went back and looked at the camera, I was like, Oh my God, these things are like <laughs> running out like crazy. And, uh, so I couldn't use any of the footage I filmed because they all look like crap. Like 
it looks like I do the right thing and it didn't work, but it's just because I got a piece of crap chuck now because I'm an idiot. Is it a four jaw or a three jaw? It's a three jaw. Yeah. It's my, it's my main chuck that I use every day, all day long. And they're oh, not man. cheap. So, no. um, I'm in the market for a uh, Chuck sponsor. If anybody is out there, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm I'm shopping right now to try to find you know who I want to use. How you know how high end do you go? Because it's my main one, but also I'm an idiot and I'll crash it again probably. So um, you know it's like you know how much money do you spend to fix it? So, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. Um, bracing for Christmas. You know, yeah. it's like, Christmas right, rush. we're right at it, you know, the next week or so. By the time this comes out, I'm hoping to be full steam ahead in, in Christmas orders. There we go. What about you, Christy? I know uh, I got to see your maker bag front and center at the uh, maker swap this past weekend. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I was uh, real happy that it turned out as as it did. I was I was happy with the turnout. And then uh, the recipient was Sarah Housework. So I was super glad uh she was excited as well so um she'll be taking that bag home and um you know i was we had the wedding prior to everything uh with makers camp so i was kind of last minuting it a little bit and then you know with those kind of projects you're like oh but i could also do this and i could also do that um because I ended up adding feet to the bottom because the leather was such a heavy leather that it wasn't setting flat. And that was one thing I wanted to be able to, like if someone sat the leather bag on the table or on the floor, because it's kind of a, a larger tote, um, they could easily slip their arm into the handles and off they go with it. Um, and, but the leather was, was really kind of thick. So I, um, I ended up putting, adding feet to the bottom. That really helped. That was something that Marvin had suggested. And then it just kind of needed a little extra bit of trim to tie it all together because the side pieces were walnut that we'd milled up from the farm a few years ago. Uh, but then on the top of that side piece of walnut, I added an extra bit of leather on the top to kind of cover that top part that tied that same tooling that I did um on the sides of the front and back of it so i think it kind of you know tied it all together and and worked i was i was real happy with it and then um so yeah and then the question always is how do you travel with that kind of stuff so oh, i yeah. made sure to i took two large bags to makers camp which i realize is overkill but I always want to have enough space going and enough space coming back. So I'd kind of packed my clothes in it and then had clothes on the top and the bottom and, you know, just really kind of protected it in my luggage, hard case luggage um, when I went. And thankfully, TSA did not mess it up. Um, and then the, the item that I received was a salt and pepper mill, a salt grinder. Oh, those were you know, nice. Oh my gosh. Now the funniest thing that I helped with that. And let me tell you the working hand podcast guys, they did such a good job of getting that organized. The swap went really, really smooth. Um, but the funny thing was either earlier that day or the day before Anna and Kate, my daughters went with us, went with me to makers camp and they had a great time, but they kind of walked through the area 
And the only picture that Katie took a picture or the only item that Katie took a picture of was that salt and pepper mill. Cause they're like, Katie's like, I want that. And yeah. um, so the funny thing was whenever I won it and sh- she's like, but now I, you should give it to me. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. I remember These looking at coming it with me yeah, and saying like, that's a nice maker swap item because mm-hmm. I could make that if I tried, but I have no desire to put that much effort into something. They were um, beautiful. It was, uh, was it walnut and maple or was it Paduke and maple? I think it was Paduke. Paduke and maple. And so it was inverted. Certain. Like one was maple yes. with thin Paduke striping. The other one was Paduke with thin yes. maple striping. It's and it beautiful. was turned on a lathe, like real like foot tall mm-hmm. salt and pepper grinders. They were yeah. attractive. I, I vividly remember seeing them the first time. And I thought they were, do we know who made them? Yeah. Tim, the shop te- teacher. Yeah. he knew And them. I think he, um, I had talked to him about it. And I think he had mentioned that those, the material that he used was some of the same material from, last year's ornament swap that mm. we did here through the podcast. So there was a nice little connection, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we had a, we had a great time at, at makers camp and uh, my daughters did as well. And it was funny because Sunday evening, you know, everything, we had all the rain on Saturday. I'm sure everybody's heard all those kind of stories, but the funny thing for me was Sunday evening, the girls went back to the room and, um, and then I would, went back a little later and I figured they were going to be wrapped up for the evening and probably be snoring by the time I got there. And I come in and they're literally planning for next year's trip. Cause they're like, okay, now next year when we come with you, mom, we want a road trip and we want to do this. And we want to do that. So I was super happy that they, um, they That's had awesome. a good, they had a great time and they definitely want to come back next year and, and, um, and kind of, enjoy the experience so so yeah definitely a win-win all around had a great time so dean what about you what you been up to yeah in the shop i'm still messing with these rulers i think i talked about them last time i've got some brass rulers uh it's interesting i bought an off-brand lens to get a 300 millimeter bed and it has a different focal length than what is default for this laser so i'm actually getting to where i can engrave straight across and not have to go at some kind of crazy angle but I've been playing with the um, the blur. You know, as you move further out from center, it starts to warp. I'm dealing with that. I've got it dialed in where I've got almost 11 and a half inches are dead on. And that last half an inch on each side or quarter of an inch on each side, uh, I need to clean up. So uh, that's really been what's going on in the shop um, outside. Obviously, I was at Maker Camp with Christy, too. Just some housekeeping. I've got to say, first off, our friend Emmett Newsom and his wife, Dana, what host? I mean, so I flew to Pittsburgh and stayed at their house and then rode to Maker Camp. And and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But um, Emmett's house is exactly what you would think from a guy who finishes an ornament three months before everyone else. I looked at his lathe, <laughs> Austin, not a piece of sawdust in his workshop. I mean, their house was spotless. You open the fridge, then like bottles of water and apples were all lined up. Like I, I was not, I'll be honest. I was worried a little bit about losing a kidney while I was there, but <laughs> I wasn't worried about bed bugs. Cause like their house was so clean. It was crazy. It made me feel bad about my house, uh, but they also had a cat and I'm not a cat guy. This cat was so cute and so much fun and it had a great personality. So I, I had a good time, you know, playing with the cat and and it fetches. It was doing all kind of crazy stuff. Um, but they have the cat because they also have on, you know, Emmett's always looking for charity. They have an account rescue room on Summit. 
uh, spelled straight out, no spaces or anything, where they're going to start a cat, you know, boarding or whatever while they're looking for people to take uh, these kittens and cats on. Yeah, Foster. So his he's given up. Emmett is a Pittsburgh guy. He has a full calf Pittsburgh sports tattoo. He had mm-hmm. a room in the basement that was painted like the Pittsburgh Pirate Field with Pittsburgh Steeler memorabilia all over and Pittsburgh Penguin hockey sticks that has all been picked up and put in a closet so that they could set up uh, accommodations for these cats, including like playthings on the walls and, and crates for him to stay in. So he's going all out. Uh, his wife, when we came back from Maker Camp, she had bags on the counter that said Dean and Kristen and another one that said Jacob and Jade with Pittsburgh local chocolates and popcorns and pasta. So, I mean, wow. it was silly. Like it was like I was staying and they had a concierge at their house. Like that's how wow. the they were as host. And then I mentioned Jacob. So that's what Jacob uh, other dog designs. He drove in from Charlotte. The three of us rode up together to maker camp and it was a drive. It was about eight hour drive. Um, pretty uneventful. I, I let them drive because once I saw the first hill with a stoplight at the bottom, I was like, yeah, this ain't for me, dog. I'm a flat road kind of guy. So I was like, I'll pay for gas if y'all drive. And uh, they split the drive up and did an excellent job. Never was I in fear for my life. Uh, Jacob DJed the whole way up. We were completely silent the whole way back. We were so exhausted. Uh, <laughs> probably the one time uh, you know, we ran a risk was we stopped at this little um, you know, tourist trap diner place once we got into New York. And I asked the, you know, the waiter comes by, what do you want to drink? And we give our drink orders. And I said, do you have Diet Coke? And he says, yes. And then he goes out and he brings me a beverage and I take one sip and I look at him, I go, is this Diet Coke? And he goes, I didn't think you'd notice. And I said, you didn't think I'd notice you'd give me a Diet Pepsi? (gasps) And he goes, I'm sorry, would you like something else? I said, you're lucky. You would have been stabbed for this in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's like, you just threatened the waiter. I'm like, he brought me a fucking Diet Pepsi. Of course I threatened him. (laughs) I thought my whole taste buds were geared up to t- you know, just savor this Diet Coke that I've been waiting to get. And I had a six pack in the car, but there was so much luggage you couldn't get to him. <laughs> and this guy let me down. So um, that was the the high end of it. Before we go on too long, I think we're about 15 minutes into the first quarter. I want to talk about, you know, one thing that came up over and over again, Austin at Maker Camp was ornament swap. Where we're doing the ornament swap. And so we haven't talked about this at all. I thought what we could do, our audience could kind of see how we communicate. Let's just workshop this right now and see if we can come up with a plan. I'll tell you what I think my plan should be. My plan is we're going to do an ornament swap. We're going to do it just like last year where you're going to mail your ornament to someone else. We will encourage you to also donate a toy and send us a picture of that donation. But in addition, from our Patreon account, we will also buy toys for every confirmed shipment of an ornament to someone else. And then at the end, we'll give a collective of like, this is how many toys this podcast effort donated between people who told us, hey, I donated X, Y, and Z as part of my deal. Uh, and as well as, you know, hey, this is what came out of our Patreon account. And this is the amount of toys that we donated. And as I'm saying that, uh, the Patreon account is not overrun. And I don't want to spend either of your monies. But what I will say is uh, I will finance any overages so if we get 50 ornaments and we don't have 50 ornaments worth of cash in that i'll finance the the delta on that and um and buy toys so it'll be a combination of year one where it was hashtag bankrupt dean and year two where we did the swap between people i will say this i think the way we should do it is when you tell us you have an ornament done we need a shipment confirmation and then you'll get on the list to receive the next ornament 
because we did have a handful of people, including Austin, that never received their ornament. Uh, I think that was a male snafu, not a personal snafu. But I want to make sure that just because you've committed to the cause, uh, you're not going to get something until we know that you've completed the task. So there is an urgency if you want to be included in the swap. What do y'all think? I think the well, the only issue we had as far as delivering ornaments was because it was international. And as much as I love the folks over in Europe and Australia and all the other areas, unfortunately, because of the shipping issues, I do think we are going to have to keep it either in the United States or North America because that's that's our problem. I mean, we, everybody that sent pictures of a finished item, shipped it and sent confirmation that it shipped, even the folks over in Europe. But the shipping is what really failed because I know, I mean, I saw receipts that the, the items yeah, were and shipped. Actually, the one I'm thinking of specifically was an amazing ornament. It was a beautiful and ornament. Yes. It was right in the middle of a postal strike by that country's right. postal service. Right. So yeah, it's not their fault, but I agree. Let's just keep it to North America. Mm -hmm. um, I love my European counterparts, and uh, I know we've got some listeners in S South Africa um, as well. But we, um, yeah, I think for this, we need to just keep it uh, North America. So U.S., Canada, uh, I mean, Mexico, whomever, but somewhere that doesn't have yeah. to cross an ocean. And then uh, I I'm cool with that. And I'll tell you one other thing I wanted to throw in there, and then I'll let you come back and bring me back down to reality. Uh, <laughs> I will make a commemorative coin for the maker swap or for the ornament swap, and anyone who completes and mails an ornament they'll get a uh, ornament swap commemorative coin from me that has the podcast logo on one side and then some some design as far as to what this was uh that you can keep so a little challenge coin uh as a bonus to you i think uh, that's a great idea i love that idea because i saw how great your coins turned out but i do think for the folks in order to get a coin you have to donate a okay yeah let's toy do that. that has you to donate be a toy as part of your thing you qualify right. that'll be the bonus so right. you want to make an ornament swap an ornament that's good to go all right we already know who the first one done is is ed's clocks and more saw his ornament yes, this last beautiful weekend ornament mm -hmm. looks amazing it's a uh it was a pine cone yeah Wait, epoxy somebody pine beat cone. Emmett? yeah yes. Emmett's fucking yeah my Emmett might as well turn his shit in and quit Emmett's trash now yeah, yeah. but uh yeah it's a great piece it already yeah. has his, as long as his wife doesn't take it from him it was a, a yeah. multicolored resin pour on pine cone turned into a, a tree and uh, it was really cool. And he was the one that just kind of kept pestering. When is this going to happen? So we got to do it. Uh, so yeah, if you yeah. put in an ornament in the swap and you ship it, you'll get one in return. Um, you know, be mindful. These are your fellow listeners, uh, your fellow people in the community. So put that much effort into it. Don't just, you know, half-ass something, but uh, if you want to do all that, and then if you also show us proof of uh, you donating a toy or some toys, whatever, no, no limit on that. I mean, if it's something, five bucks or, or 20 bucks. It doesn't matter. Uh, you'll get put on the list for my commemorative coins. Um, I was thinking to, yeah, let's keep it right there. And if, if anybody has any disclaimers or any exceptions or things they're curious about, they can message us and we can make rulings on that later. But I think this is a good foundation for what it should be. Yeah. 
and folks that might not have listened last year when we did it, just kind of an outline, um, make, you know, make your ornament in whichever style you want, whichever material you want. But keep in mind that it is something that should hang on a Christmas tree. You know, yeah. it needs to be something and something you're willing to ship, whatever size that is, too. Yeah. So it should be an, a hangable ornament of, like I said, whatever material you want to ship. Um, and then send a picture of the finished item to the making your way podcast, Instagram and your address. And then that gets you on the list. And then I will do the name draw and distribute just like I did last year and distribute addresses to everybody. Um, Last year we had the cutoff prior to Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I know that that gives everybody time to ship. If we're not going but international, you can. I think we, we should bit. go into December because a lot of people don't kind of get into the Christmas spirit until like Thanksgiving weekend. So I yeah. was thinking maybe Let's do a December, December 10th ish or more. Yeah. I like this December. Okay, 5th. that's fine. Um, so anyway, go ahead and get started on your ornament. Uh, send us a you know, post pictures, tag us. We'll share uh, all over the place if you want to do that. And um, I will have, I'll type up again this year, kind of the outline. Cause I know we're kind of spitballing here. Um, we'll, we'll have a, a confirmed, you know, outline out in the real near future, but yeah, go ahead and get your ornaments started. And, uh, and I think on the making our way podcast, Instagram page, I think on one of the highlights is last year's ornaments and those are beautiful. I mean, everything, those are just, I was just so impressed with what everybody did. Um, so, but the base of it is to raise money or raise toys or gifts or whatever to whatever local children's charity you have that you want to give to. Cause that's kind of where it all started. So make an ornament, send us a picture of it, complete it before December 5th. On December 5th, you'll be notified of who you are shipping your ornament to. If you have any questions with shipping or are concerned about the price from your local USPS or FedEx, UPS, reach out to me. I can help you with pirate ship. Um, It's an economical solution in that circumstance. Uh, If you donate a toy and send us a picture of you donating the toy or just a message of what you donated uh, so that we can keep track of it, um, you'll be entered into the challenge coin mailing that I will send off um, sometime after that. Hopefully get those to you before Christmas. And that's where we're at. December 5th is going to be the deadline for the ornament swap. Yeah. We'd like to take a minute and thank the folks over on Patreon for their support. If you'd like to join them over there, patreon.com slash making our way podcast. Each week we post a little additional content that's uh, not necessarily rated. And it's on a lot of variety of topics. And then also we'll send you a sticker pack. So on the top tier, we have Marion Ward from Creative Ward Gallery. Scott Warren from Daddy Yourself and Ozark Spirit. Tonight we're joined with Shara Frank, the Mosaic Artist. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hi, thanks for having me. Could you give us a little bit about you and how you are or how do you fit in the maker community? Yes, um, so I am in Minneapolis, well, right outside of Minneapolis. Um, I've been making mosaics since um, 2000, so like 20 three or so years. Wow. Um, and I fit into the maker community, I guess, as 
Well, as a maker, as an educator, and I also have a product line. Excellent. How awesome. Well, your your page is just so beautiful and so colorful, and it just has so many things going on. It's kind of hard to pick where to even start, but let's kind of start with like the inspiration of, let's say, one of your larger commission pieces Uh, the piece with the deer and the sun in the background. Can you kind of start us off? How does that type of project come about? Like as far as like inspiration or, or just the beginning of that type of project? Uh, Well, before that project, I had done a smaller landscape sort of setting, like a storybook fairy tale sort of imagery. Um, Mm -hmm. And the, the first one was only eight inches by eight inches. And it was with a fox in a winter landscape. So this um, couple approached me and they had been researching mosaic artists in our area. They wanted to commission a piece for an outdoor uh, recessed wall. And so they were open to what I wanted to do. I had brought that little eight by eight piece with me to show them kind of the direction I was thinking. And at the time, and I still am very inspired um, with whimsical dreamscapes, like mixing nature and shadowy landscapes with imagery of folktale animals and Mm -hmm. uh, flowers and, you know, just um, gradation of color. And I haven't had that many opportunities to use that imagery in a large scale in a large scale setting. So they were open to the idea. And so I put together some sketches and it just fell together from there. That's great. Now, how big of a piece is like this one in particular? How big was the finished product? Oh, that piece was three feet by five feet. Wow. Um, Each individual tile though could have been anywhere from like an eighth of an inch to an inch at the most. Wow. Shara, I have some experience with mosaic, but I've never seen where the tiles are so close together. Does that have a particular name or is that a certain technique? Yeah, I guess that is something that's recognized in my work is that I put my pieces pretty tightly together. And I think because my, my pieces are smaller and more fine and detailed than to me, like to my eye, it just looks tidier and um, more, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. With with larger tiles, you can have bigger spaces in between them and it mm. doesn't look disjointed. But if you have smaller, tinier pieces and larger spaces between them, it can kind of start to feel like they're just floating around. So I tend to pack them in tighter just to make them you know, more unified. Oh, I love the way it looks. It really looks almost like a quilt or something instead of yeah. right. The mosaic with the big grout lines and everything. It it really, it looks like a, almost it was sewn or, or stitched. It's really pretty. I was also curious, you said outdoors. How do you weatherproof something like this? Uh, well, the weatherproofing starts with the substrate. So if you're working outside, you want to make sure your substrate is a freeze proof it, that it won't absorb any moisture. So I use tile backer boards that are okay. used for like building showers and um, that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Um, and then for the tesserae, the mosaic material, as long as it's non-porous, you are safe to use. So um, high-fired tile, which I don't use much of like ceramic, heavy-duty ceramic tile, but a lot of artists that work outdoors use high-fired high tile. Um, but I stick to glass. So the type of material I used in that piece is called smalty, Italian smalty specifically. I also used some that was made in Mexico, um, but smalty is a enameled handmade glass and it's known for its highly reflective quality. It's used a lot in Byzantine style mosaics and traditional mosaics in Italy um, on floors, ceilings, walls. So it's a great type of glass and tile to use outdoors and also create a very rich and kind of like higher end, you know, finish. Mm -hmm. So with this piece in particular, you've got, um, like you said, like the shower backer board to start with. And then what, what material is between it and when you start putting your tile or your little pieces of glass, what, what material do you use there? So that would be the adhesive and I okay. use a thin, a thin set mortar tile. Oh, okay. When you're making something that big, do you like, okay, I'm going to work in this four by four inch spot. And I just put the, the adhesive there and then just put those pieces on, or do you have to worry about that drying out or how does that work? Yeah, each adhesive has its own window of time uh, and you get into a rhythm and pattern of how much to spread out depending on your pace and your pace can also depend on like how big your pieces are, how detailed that area is that you're working. If you have all of your tiles and glass pieces prepped and cut ready to go, or if you're kind of cutting and laying them as you go. Um, so I would say in like you could spread out a section that will carry through like 20 minutes at a time with a thin set mm. adhesive before it starts to get a kind of skin top on it, you know, where you have to then remove it and then add fresh thin set down. Oh, that would make, yeah, that would make sense too. I noticed that the thin set, you're, you're coloring it kind of based on the glass or, or is it based on um, transparency or opaqueness of the glass? Um, how do you, how does, how does that work in with your projects? Yeah. So a lot of the pieces I've been doing um, more recently, I've been working beads into those projects um, and with plates and tile. Um, so when I when I mix all these different materials together, I do typically match my adhesive to all of those colors just to um, like the overall theme. Like if it's blue, I'll tint my adhesive blue just to blend it all in and pull it together. Um, and, but with that, with those projects, if they have beads in them, I'm usually using epoxy clay as my adhesive. Um, so I do tint it with like a, an oil paint usually. Oh. And, but if I'm using thin set, I'll tint it with, there's like a mineral powdered pigment. I'll use that to. How cool. You know, the star of these mosaics are the, the glass, the tile, the beads. What's your favorite kind of material to work with? How did you expand from probably buying 
tile at Home Depot or Lowe's to Glass Beach? You know, what was that process like, that development? Yeah, well, um, my first mosaic ever was made with free tile that I got from a big tile shop. I was in college and pretty poor. Like I was spending all my money on art supplies to finish my assignments. Right. It was expensive. Um, so I called up this tile shop and I asked if they had any free tile and I drove over and filled up my whole trunk. Um, but all I ended up really using from that was this plain white wall tile and they were four by four squares. Mm -hmm. And I broke it all up with a hammer and glued it to my coffee table with Elmer's glue. So I really started <laughs> from the very basic, like yeah. material. And anything after that was just like, it was so exciting to break into a piece of stained glass or I'd find a plate to just, I just experimented with all these different materials. And then eventually I just started mixing them all together. And then it, created this sort of mixed media approach. Was it one of these things where you were hooked from the very first project? Um, there is definitely something with the beads. Uh, at, around the time I started using beads, I discovered epoxy sculpt, which was an adhesive um, that I knew other artists were using it as a sculpting material. And I was commissioned to do this very large Baroque sculpted mirror frame. Um, and the, the, customer my client wanted the top that was kind of curled and dimensional to be encrusted with pearls and seashells and little pieces like rhinestones and I said yes I will do this like I want to <laughs> do this and I really had no idea how I was going to make it happen and at the time I had only been using this adhesive called weld bond which is a lot like Elmer's glue, but a lot stronger. And then when artists were working kind of dimensionally, like mosaic artists working dimensionally, because we didn't have a real like putty-like adhesive to work with besides thin set, which isn't very friendly with like finer materials. So I thought I'd have to use weld bond and just kind of tape everything in place as it hung off like the edge until it dries enough. And then you can take your tape off. That's how we were doing it then. And um, my friend had mentioned epoxy sculpt because she had used it to reinforce the sculpture. And I thought I would use the epoxy sculpt to add the volume to the frame and like build it up and out. Um, and then something like I just had this just curiosity before I left my studio that day to push in a couple little beads into the epoxy sculpt. I was just doing this test to, to build up the surface and I pressed a few beads into it. And then I came back the next day and it was like they were set into stone. Oh. And I realized at that point, like this was not it wasn't going to be my sculpting material to add volume because it was so dense and like thick, like putty, but it was going to be my adhesive for sure because it was holding those beads in permanently. And I was able to spread the epoxy out over that curved surface that was kind of falling over and under my table um, and then put all my little beads and shells right into place where they were just like, you know, falling off the edge, but they would stay put without shifting or moving. So I was able to work 
a lot faster and just like make all my dreams come true. That's and awesome. That, that opened the door for working with beats because before that working with beats was just a very, I mean, it's still a time intensive process, but this cut the time down dramatically. Like I would say 80% and I was just able to do so much more. So so then I started using epoxy sculpt on just everything. Like I was buying it by, you know, just big bucket full at a time <laughs> going through it like crazy. And then I started teaching others how to use epoxy sculpt with beads. And that's in the mosaic community. My work became known for um, mosaicing with beads. Yeah. I've never seen it before. It's really awesome. Thank I was kind of curious when you're doing these bigger projects like with the mirror that you mentioned or some of these other larger projects do you um like put the like the keynote pieces on first and then fill in with the smaller pieces or are you more like a like with the deer for example you've got the trees going i mean anybody listening to this needs to really go look at her page because there there's just so much going on. It's just so beautiful. And like the mirror that you mentioned there too, do, do you focus on like the, uh, the main pieces or do you, and then fill in, or do you move from like right to left or up and down as you're putting your pieces together? Yeah. Well, for that large deer, like landscape piece, um, I've actually I've never posted a picture of that whole entire thing finished. I just like just crashed and burned at the end of that project <laughs> and just like walked away in a daze. And once, <laughs> I don't think I posted anything onto Instagram for months after I finished and um, and, you know, it was summer break and all kinds of stuff happening. I mean, I really thought when I started that project, I thought it would take me six months and then it, you know, ended up being nine months and then a year, like it took a year and it was all I worked on and it would be, wow. And I've, I've gone through that so many times with many projects. <laughs> it's sort of like you have this sort of mosaic amnesia. Like you just really don't remember how long it takes you. And you're just, it's a painfully like optimistic art form. Like you just, get sucked into it and 40 hours can go by like nothing. I mean, it's really, yeah. it's not, you know, to put 300 hours into a project really doesn't phase me. So, wow. but when you look at a project going into it, you're very optimistic, you're very excited and you think, yes, I can, I can get this done in six months. It'll be, you know, you, it just looks so easy. And, but then when you really get down to it and it's like, tweezering in every piece one at a literally one at a time um the days go fast even though it only feels like a couple hours like eight hours can go by and wow you realize you haven't like you've been just sitting in the chair in the same position all that time <laughs> <laughs> so um but back to your question yeah the way that i map it out um I put in all the foreground first, like all the details. So I think in that piece, I started with the flowers and then I did like the animals. Um, so I layer it in starting from the okay. foreground and all of the, the focal points. And then I start filling in the background behind, like layering it in. Cause you have to cut 
around like the like the little bunny you know that's sitting in there and the hill that's behind it has to be cut around it's i mean it's just mesmerizing to watch i mean it really really is so i noticed you're using a bunch of different kinds of hand tools to um work the glass um what are some of your main tools that you use yeah so i have a few different types of wheeled cutters and um, one is called a monolith. It's uh, a little bit larger and it has carbide um, wheel and they're stationary. They push down to create a fracture. So they're not really like cutting the glass, but they apply pressure, which creates a fracture. And you control control the direction of the fracture with the direction you're placing the wheels. So what's really important is that your wheels are perpendicular to the glass so that your pressure is, you know, going straight down. Um, and then I also have another tool called a silver schnitt and it's German. It's smaller aluminum. Um, the wheels are a little bit more like they're thinner and tapered tight. Like they have a tighter taper to them. So I feel like I can get a better um, level of detail and control, but but the monoliths, those wheels, when they close, they come closer together when they bite. So you can get a thinner piece of glass into those. So and, and then there's also another wheel cutter called a Laponet. And that's the one that most mosaic artists start off with. Um, I've used a Laponet that brand for probably the first 15 years of mosaicing. And I started mixing it up just because you hear other artists talking about these other brands and you know how they favor them. And so I just thought I really need to start trying other tools. I start becoming stuck in my, you know, preferences. And I feel like I just kind of get stubborn with, <laughs> with certain, with that, you know, liking certain things the way that they are and not being open to trying a new tool or a new adhesive. So I, I push myself out of my comfort zone with tools once in a while, and I'll just intentionally invest in another one to try it out, especially with being an educator. I feel like I need to be able to talk to my students about, you know, pros and cons of different tools. So, so now I do, I do like having the three different types of wheel cutters around because I find that if I'm cutting one type of tile with one, like there's this um, matte, it's a factory made like commercial tile, but it's matte finished. And with the monolith, I don't get very good cuts with it. And then I tried this, the silver schnitt and it, it started giving me really nice cuts. And I wasn't going to order that tile anymore, but now I actually like it a lot because I was getting better cuts with the other tool. So it's just, you never know which one's going to work better for each material until you just experiment and try them. Yeah. And if you had silver snit on your bingo card, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's one of like the most common questions I get in my messages on social media are what kind of nippers is that? What kind of tool is that? And I, I answer almost every question and I wish my phone like the, would just remember that, <laughs> mm. um, the autoresponder. Like I have to type it out every time. Like I don't I've, know how you can. I have a tip for you. It. Yeah. <laughs> you can do autofill responses if you have an iPhone and you so you can put like hashtag nippers and you can type or like hashtag NI 
and yeah. it will autofill the answer for you. Okay. Thank you. That's yeah. going to save me like 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, go, so like we'll go over that question. before we get off. Cause yeah, we all do that. Um, yeah. for, yeah. yeah, like my sales spiel, I just type hashtag sales and it, I don't have to yeah. type it every time. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I need to brush up on these things, <laughs> especially because my Instagram just blew up since last like spring. Oh, wait till they hear you on this podcast. It's going to go crazy. (laughs) So I, uh, talking about, you know, cutters and nippers and things like that. Uh, I see a tool that I recognize being a metal worker that you have a hearty, uh, a hearty cut, um, to a hearty, oh my gosh, a hot cut, uh, tool that you use with a stump and a hammer. Oh, the hammer and hearty. Yeah. Hammer and hearty. We call them hot cut as a blacksmith. <laughs> so oh. it's the same shape, you know, and you've got it in a stump. We put it in the, uh, in the, uh, hardy hole of an anvil. So, okay. but, uh, I noticed that that is a tool that you also were using to cut. Um, and is, was that one of your, um, experiments in branching into, you know, more, um, unique tools? Yes. Yeah. So that was a purchase I made at, there was, um, an annual mosaic conference that happened, every year before COVID and I, I would go and often I would teach and, you know, listen to all the presentations and there would always be a big vendor show. And so that was my last big purchase was the hammered hardy at the vendor show. And it was, yeah, knowing that I was, you know, diving in to using more smelty, which the the traditional way to break smelty is with the hammer and hardy, but I need a lot more practice and training with it to feel confident. And I just, I really lean on my wheeled nippers, the hand tools to cut smelty, especially with the specific shapes that I'm after. I'm not convinced I can do that with the hammer and hardy, but I'm sure there's someone out there that would prove otherwise and could teach me how to do it right. But I feel like I'm just wasting a lot of material right now when I do try to try to use it. But but I've been able to get just like basic cuts, like cutting a piece in half. But again, it takes a long time to get it into the, I think I'm just like too clenched up. (laughs) And if you watch artists that are, you know, very like well-practiced with using the hammer and hardy, like they have sort of like a looseness to their, to the way that they let the hammer fall on the glass. And um, I'm just not quite there. I think not, you know, working in your, like right now, my days are just like an hour here, an hour there, maybe two hours. And um, I think when you're kind of flying in and out like that, it might be harder to get into the mindset of hammer and hardy. (laughs) But yes, it looks pretty. I love the way it looks. <laughs> All right. So you said uh, you were breaking a lot of material with your hammer. Um, I want to talk to you about breaking other things and potentially doing one of my favorite things, which is trolling people on the internet and um, deliberately <laughs> with your plates, taking you know what they were referring to as beautiful plates and breaking them. Um, how do you feel about using that in, in your art? Yeah, well, I wasn't prepared for the backlash that I found myself in the middle of. Um, Well, so before that, so I had one specific piece that kind of went viral and and then another one went viral and they both had 
um, plates in them. And I think part of the reason why they went viral is because of the plates and the responses people were giving. I mean, it was a small percentage of those comments, but I do think it also, even if people weren't saying anything, I do think it was kind of um, like an emotional response, just like they're like, they just had like a train wreck. Like you have to stop and watch it because you're not really <laughs> sure like, where is this going? You're just breaking this beautiful plate. And um, so, yeah, I, I just got so much feedback in all languages. I had to stop translating because it was, it was just <laughs> brutal. And <laughs> so then I started, um, I mean, some of them got very kind of aggressive. And so I started screenshotting and sharing them. And I, yeah, I did create a highlight of the, I couldn't decide whether to name it plate hate or plate gate. Mm. I think I left it at plate gate. <laughs> I like that you had it as a highlight, like in your thing, like right now you have mosaic maximalist bead whisperer creator of, and you have all this stuff, but you, you had uh like plate destroyer or something in there at one point. I did. Yeah. And I took that off because I felt like I was just like, like I was like, it was getting old, you know? Yeah. Let the hate <laughs> I, consume. It you. lived. Yeah. Lived the life that I needed it to. And I'm able to <laughs> move on. But I don't get as much, I don't get as much feedback on those anymore. I mean, people will say like the plate was better. Um, Like that was one that just came in on Facebook this earlier this week that the the plate was better. I think an awesome show they should do on HGTV is when people go out of town for vacation, you come in, you smash up all their China, make a mosaic for them. And then they come home and you're like, we pimped your plates, baby. Now you've got this <laughs> mirror or now you've got this bar. Like, Christy, you want an outdoor table? We put plates on the table. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and people think there's like a plate shortage or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> shortage. And there's really... Like it's toilet paper or something. Yeah. I mean, it's heartbreaking to think of all of the like old china sets that are being thrown away and i've gone mm-hmm. into estate sales like the last 30 minutes when they mark everything down to 90 percent, and i've picked up many sets um well you know several sets where they're probably going to be thrown away or i don't know what they do with them but i've gotten these sets that were marked at 300 dollars for for the entire set and nobody wanted them. They were still there at the very end of the estate sale. You know, something I I want to ask you, and this isn't typically in the vein of our podcast, but you know, plates, cups, they have a lot of curves to them. They're not really flat. Does that not really matter to you since you use such small pieces and get such tight grouping or what's the deal with that? Yeah. The, the, smaller you cut the curve down the flatter it starts to lay so but generally i am using plates but if i am using the side of um a curved cut cup it's just kind of a focused spot where i'm cutting out the like a decal like the flowers and then if you have a slight curve in it if you cut it in half or cut it into three pieces it will pretty much reduce that angle yeah so mm-hmm. you're doing fantastic on social media. I don't think you need my uh, 2000 follower account advice, but an awesome reel would be you buying a whole like bushel of a you know, full set, right? 
do something like show yourself doing something with the plates and then just walk to the trash can with all the coffee cups and stuff and just throw them away. I think people <laughs> would lose their minds. It would be so good for your growth. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> you always need more material. So Dean, she needs six more months of assholes on the internet to get to the point where I'm at, where I'm like ready to spit fire back. <laughs> yeah. I love six that she has a whole she'll be story. On board. Plate gate. Look, if you're listening to the episode, if you don't look at anything else, just go look at the story plate gate. It's amazing to see the kind of stuff yeah. that people have to deal with. It's, yeah. yeah. The coming. And I thought maybe, maybe the, it's AI, maybe it's robots, but some of them are just very, I mean, heartfelt. So <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I like I, to think there's a guy in his basement right now and he's got like 90% of a set complete and he's looking for this last his last piece of china to, to complete this set he remembered as a kid and he's watching you just smash it on repeat <laughs> yeah and i mean that with all sincerity <laughs> there there's plenty there's i've looked at some the some of the patterns that i use a lot of i will look them up on ebay and I'll only go after the ones that are priced really well or like right, have cheap. free shipping. I'm not going to pay a ton of shipping for a plate. So, or I'll look on Facebook marketplace and find some locally like next um, in a couple of weeks, my husband's going to green Bay for a football game, the Packers, I think. And there's, there happens to be a lady in green Bay that's selling a whole set of this certain pattern that I love and I use a lot of. And so she's holding it for me. She's been holding oh, nice. it for me since like August. And he's oh, wow. going there at, at the end of October. And then he's going to stop by and pick it up for me, this whole set. And um, so that's how, I mean, I'm very selective about how I get the plates and which ones I use. I don't hoard too many of them because it takes me a long time to go through them. Um, I mean, maybe in total through an entire year. I mean, I'm just starting to use more plates because they work really well with these frames that I, that I make. Yeah. So um, I've been using more plates lately for that. And, and people really have been responding well to like how they look mixed into the beads and everything. And that's something I really enjoy. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that this year, but I probably only will go through maybe you know, 200 plates at most a year. So it's, it's really not that bad. Uh, I do want to insert a little note here. When your husband's driving up to get those, uh, that could be a tax deduction, the mileage, just on a side note there, because he's Thank going you. to pick up parts for you. So anyway, and when the Packers beat the Vikings, he can smash the plates on his way back and you don't even have to break them. <laughs> But I wanted to jump into the, I don't even know the, the I don't know how to describe them because they're so cool. Like the wooden trays that you're using is like forms or frames for your mosaic pieces. Is that a safe way to describe it? Or how do you describe those pieces within the, in the beautiful wooden trays? Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, a tray is a good description a wood frame with cut out insets for the mosaic portion to be recessed within the frame so when 
challenge with making mosaics is having that edge and navigating that edge as especially as a beginner it's really tricky because where the tiles meet the edge is the most vulnerable part of a mosaic and Mm. often a tile can get chipped off or bumped um, or it's just really jaggedy and not smooth and it's sharp and just it doesn't look very polished and it can be very time consuming trying to make that look nice especially Mm. as a beginner. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then I also wanted as a mosaic instructor, I knew how nice it would be as, you know, having classes and, and for students to be able to just pick up a frame that already has the shape and the, the thing that you want it to be. You don't have to think about how do I make my mosaic look like a bird or a butterfly or Mm -hmm. like it already is that. So you just have to fill it in like a coloring book or paint by number sort of project so um and then having the raised edges of the the frame part keeps it all contained and tidy so you don't have to worry about you know cutting your edge to fit just right um so i approached another a mosaic supplier in maryland about these frames and she had been working with a shop like a cabinet making shop um cutting out just generic base shapes out of like MDF, just like a silhouette of a shape. Mm-hmm. And um loved the idea of these frames and wanted to partner with like she was going to sell them. And well she did. She she took the, all the orders and sold them and did all the shipping. And I basically just focused on making the designs and creating little samples. So Ooh. that was how these frames operated for the first year or so um but that was also during the time when I was working on that really large piece with the deer so Mm -hmm. they really took they were in the back seat for a while they didn't get a whole lot of my attention um and then after that project was finished and I was ready to kind of pivot and put more work back into these frames um she retired and I had to decide what to do like did I want to take on all the responsibility of you know um, the manufacturing, like finding somebody local to me to make them, um, and then managing the inventory and the sales and shipping. Um, so I did, I took on the inventory that she had and I really was so unorganized and I didn't have any idea of like, you know, a label printer or that you could order, um, bulk supplies from USPS Mm. or that your, that your post postal worker could pick up packages from your house. (laughs) I didn't know any of that. So I would get, I'd get an order and I would like put a frame in my purse and stop by the post office after picking up my kids from school and just like put a label on it and like, you know, put my business card and ship it off. Like I was literally just filling orders so randomly like that Mm. here initially. (laughs) And then things started picking up more and more. And then Um, posts on Instagram started going crazy and then I was getting flooded with orders Mm, so I quickly to like pull it together and get a system in place Um, so since then I've had and I was also figuring out my suppliers and like who to work with locally and I was trying out different shops to cut them for me and um, Mm. so there's I've just had a lot of like learning and experimenting and trying things out the last few months with these frames but 
it's been a lot of fun and I'm planning to, to keep going. Um, I need to figure out if I want to do kits. People ask a lot for kits and I've been resistant to that because I just don't know about managing all those moving parts quite yet. Yeah. I think I'll probably be offering like small batches, you know, like a small run of frames here and there. I, I need to. Yeah. I love these frames and I think you call them Sherry shapes and they have their own account and everything. And it's, it's a, they're really clever because another thing you do, I think you've said a few times is teach classes and Mm -hmm. wow. What an easy way to step into the mosaic world to Mm -hmm. have, as you said, a coloring book, you know, the outlines are already there and you're just filling in the color. This is amazing. I mean, this is where you go from an artist to a business is these, and mm-hmm. I, I notice it looks like they're out of plywood. I, I don't know if you've thought a lot about materials or what types of wood to use or how all that. I guess it just comes down to economy. But uh, I was curious, how do you decide what the shapes are? You have a bird, you have butterflies, you have a flower. Um, how do you decide You know what the next shape's going to be and, and go off and prototype what the next uh, share a shape is going to be? Yeah, well, mostly I follow my own inspiration and desire of what I want to work on. Um, I get a lot of requests for different things. Like um, somebody wanted a mermaid and they sent in a picture of like a tattoo of a specific mermaid. Somebody wanted coffee cup. Um, I mean, there's just been all kinds of requests, but I, I don't want to be just kind of a, you know, a generic, like just make any old. Yeah. Like, random shape like I really only want to offer the things that I mean it's it's a selfish thing really it's like I I make these shapes for me like what I'm what I am motivated to mosaic and then what you're gonna do in your classes and everything yeah yeah and I because that's how most of my classes have been like driven like if I if I make something and I'm really inspired and I do my best and it comes out great, then other people want to make it too. And then it's even easier for me to teach it because I'm excited about it. I I love Mm -hmm. the outcome and I want to share it with others. And then it just grows. It keeps spreading. If I'm just making like a random you know, turtle, because, you know, a few people requested a turtle, then it's just, it's not really coming from that same place. It's just kind of, it's just more of like a product where this is like, I'm inspired personally to mosaic these birds and butterflies and flowers. These are things that I would make myself. Mm -hmm. So I make frames that I want a mosaic and then I put them out for everyone else. I love that. You know, you're the artist. Yeah. Let you're the artist. Let them trust your opinion. And I can't wait to see you on Shark Tank with these because I I think you've got something. (laughs) This they're gonna you're in Minnesota, they'll be selling these at Target in no time. (laughs) So Shara, we've reached the part of the podcast that we call this or that. And it's really more like I'm just gonna ask you random questions and get your opinion on them. Um, I wanted to see if you had to choose, do you prefer to do big pieces by yourself, like the deer piece we talked about earlier? are big pieces with the community, like some of the local community art pieces that you've done. Oh, is this supposed to be like a quick answer? Yeah. Well, you can talk as long as you want, but 
I think it's it just really depends on the season of life that I'm in. Um, when I did all those really large community like murals covering the sides of buildings, um, working with, you know, like hundreds of volunteers at a time, um, I usually had like a team that would help me organize Corel volunteers. Um, and I, I just had a different kind of energy then, like as a sure. young mom and my kids were, I mean, it was, I started doing those murals and big projects before having children. Um, I mean, I really had a good like start on my mosaic career before having kids. And so when those projects would come along after having kids, it didn't take a lot of figuring out at that point, you know, like starting from scratch. So it was easier to go into those projects then. But um, now it would just, I don't know. I think it just um, the logistics of doing a large community project right now with my with my life would just take a lot out of me and my family. No, I'm <laughs> so with you. That, yeah. For that reason, I prefer to just do my own solo projects um, probably for the next handful of years. Yeah. I've, I, I received an email um, last week. I can't remember what city that they were looking for mosaic artists to, to apply for this project. And it was a very like tempting project but I, it just made me kind of feel nauseous thinking about it like if I would actually have to do it so yeah I think I mean I have no regrets I'm so proud of those projects but I think I've I've just kind of grown into a different scale and working small is working better right now I love Makes it sense. Yeah. so let's fast forward 10 years into the future 15 years in the future What's a dream location you would love to do a public art installation? I don't know. I'm not really interested in doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Well, that's an answer. I I have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do it at a rich person's house. Yeah, yeah, I'll do. I'll do a rich person's house. Fine. I'm sure okay, Bezos has a perfect yeah. place in a tropical yeah. location you could go do it. Yeah, I mean, as long I, as it's I, public in Hawaii. Yeah, maybe my own personal residence in Hawaii. There you also, go. I have never made a mosaic for my own home. Like I don't have anything. So oh. maybe that's the next thing. So yeah, you, you teach classes, you teach live classes, and you teach some Zoom classes. What do you prefer, in person or online? Um, I prefer in person for sure. sure. Mm -hmm. I figured that. You can pack way more into an online class. When I'm with students in person, I don't want to take up the whole duration of the class just talking and demonstrating like I do in an online class. But an in-person class, they are also, they're also, I mean, a large part of the class is the making, like the students mm -hmm. are doing their work. So I'm able to walk around and check in and help or just, you know, stop everyone for a quick little demonstration. But there's this... Um, energy and just kind of like everyone gets relaxed and kind of lost in their in the flow of their project uh, I mean not everyone most people not you know it doesn't always work out <laughs> <laughs> um mosaic isn't for everyone some people get really frustrated with it and that's okay I mean like I wouldn't be very good at woodworking or accounting <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> um but I I 
have met so many amazing people through my classes. Like I've always joked that I wouldn't have any friends if it weren't for mosaics because all my friends are from my classes, like my long friends. Yeah. So my last one is what is your favorite place to source unique plates? Is it eBay? Is it Facebook marketplace? Where's your favorite place? Um, well, that's confidential. Oh, that's a great answer. Leave <laughs> it at that. It's confidential. Yep. I like it. Find okay. your own plates, guys. <laughs> so we have one question that we ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and it's if you were going to start over uh, your journey with uh, mosaics, what would be the first three tools that you would acquire? Okay. So, well, can I tell you what I wouldn't get? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> Um, one of the when I started making mosaics, there was nothing on the internet. I couldn't find a mosaic class, like Pinterest, social media, that none of that existed. So the best thing I could get for learning mosaics was from a like a mosaic book. So I would go to oh. the library or the bookstores and look for mosaic books. And one book I found said, every serious glass artist, mosaic glass artist needs a glass grinder. So I mm. like, it was almost like I stopped everything and ran out and got a glass grinder. Cause I was, I was serious about this. <laughs> and that glass grinder sat for years. I never used it. So I don't know that book. I, I don't agree with it and <laughs> definitely not one of the three things, but, um, I would say, um, starting off the lip on it, wheeled nipper, uh, a tweezer. And I also use my exacto knife all the time Cool. just for straightening out things or pulling things up. Hmm. That's cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. And if you would, um, please tell everybody where they can find you. Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Just search my name. Um, I'm also on Facebook and I did start on TikTok. I don't spend a whole lot of time there, but people were posting my stuff over there anyway. So I thought I'd better. Oh, a bunch of jerks. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, if you just search my name, I'm pretty much every on every platform. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome. Have a good night. Good night. We'd like to thank the folks over on Patreon at the middle tier. We've got Tony Langer from Langer Works, Susan DePlantis from Hearth and Garden Art, Stephanie Taddeo, and Kyle with Footwork Woodworking. That was so awesome talking to Shara. Uh, I have made mosaics before. I think, Christy, you've done a mosaic before. Austin, have you ever yeah. dabbled in the world of mosaic? I feel like I have, but I don't remember what I did. But I I feel like I have done it. It might have been like a planner or something, you know, back it was a long well, time ago. But why don't we talk about our projects uh and we'll see if maybe it jogs something in your memory. Christy, what was your mosaic project? A few years ago, I think it was January 2019. We went out to Denver on vacation in January and um we were kind of at a I think it was a YMCA kind of like community so there was like a crafts building that we could do jewelry making and just all kinds of things and so one of the things that I always do when I go on vacation is I get a picture frame from that area to put like a five by seven picture in kind of in in honor of of that trip so 
I made a picture frame and then I used the different um, stained glass pieces to to decorate the front of it. And it was interesting as we were listening, as we were talking with um, Shara, she was talking about just the, you know, working with the edges and working with the mortar and all that kind of stuff, because my edges are rough. <laughs> my edges are way rough. And I'm definitely not going to hand this picture frame to a child to hold um, because they're going to cut themselves because I'd probably cut myself too if I held it very much, just because um, it is definitely rough. But I had a great time doing it and um, I thought it turned out really well. It would definitely be something I would do again. Yeah, I grew up, you know, when I was younger, my mom used to do mosaics all the time. Um, so I had experienced it a lot. And when I went off to college, we built a bar at our house in college. It was a legit bar. I went to Lowe's or something and bought a kitchen cabinet, like a sink cabinet with three doors oh, yeah. and drawers and everything. The backs open and the tops open. So on the top, I had a piece of MDF and, you know, you talk about the edges. I knew edges were a problem from previous projects. So we did molding around the side and oh, did nice. this far scene mosaic. I mean, it's four and a half feet long. I kept it for years after I got rid of the bar. I kept the top until finally I was like, I'm never going to do anything with this. And I, I got rid of it. But I, I wish I still had it kind of. It was really it was neat. And it was such a yeah, it would have been great decoration. But yeah. what it was, was we went to uh, Bennigan's or, or something like that and stole the drink menu, the lib you know, libations menu. And I had a, a sorority friend of mine come over and she sketched all the different cocktails that were on. So we had like a daiquiri glass and a martini glass and margarita glasses and wine and a beer bucket and pretzels and a rocks glass. She drew all those different glasses on the bar. And then we would just sit there and mosaic. And here's the thing. We have four black bowls in our house right now in 2023. And Kristen asked me, you know, what are these bowls from? And I said, well, they're from college. But what I don't say is we went to Kmart and I bought two sets of black dishes and smashed the dinner plates and the small plates because that's the black background for the bar mosaic that I made. And the only thing we kept were the four bowls because they were too curved. I didn't want to mess with it. And I remember I was so <laughs> proud because my mom had done mosaics before and everything. But I had some bottles of beer and me and my buddies drank beer, bent the bottle caps in half, and we put the bottle caps actually on top of the beer as mosaics. And this was my first epoxy project. So when we finished it, you need a bar needs to be flat. And so right. I had like a wine cork on the wine bottle and some other things. And the mosaic by nature just isn't perfectly flat. And so we did an epoxy pour, a two-part epoxy pour on this bar top to get a flat uh, surface. And then that was the centerpiece of the bar. I later doubled it. I went and bought another cabinet, did another top. This time was with a uh, beer mat. So it wasn't a mosaic. So it's not relevant. Uh, but I ended up putting like 16 speakers in it and I had a, a, a kegerator and a beer fridge and everything, but <laughs> nice. that was a, it was a huge, huge project. I was super proud of. I still have pictures of it. And that was from 2001. So wow. over, over 20 years ago when we had done that. So that's about the same time as that Shara that's exactly Shara what I was started. Yeah. When she was talking about, I was like, holy, same if time. I would have just kept at it, maybe I would be impressive by now and have <laughs> over a hundred thousand followers. <laughs> what have you, any memory jogged Austin? No, I mean, I remember smashing plates and terracotta. I think it was, uh, I think we were actually setting them in concrete. 
Like we were, it, it yeah, was yeah. like the step in front of a door. Exactly. I feel like that's what I was doing. I love um, when people do that. Yeah. Like to, it was, where it's not just gray cement, you know? Right. Yeah. We were, we were doing the concrete and putting those in there. And I want to say we were doing a, um, it was mostly like blues and greens, uh, kind of like the ocean. Yeah, yeah. You know, cause that's what it's going to be around here. But yeah. Um, and it was kind of like a sun, sun swirl looking kind of deal. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it turned out really good. Um, but I was mostly just in charge of, I was, I was head smasher. Head smasher. <laughs> That's right. It sounds same thing, on, same thing in college. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about that more in Patreon. <laughs> now, the one kind of project that I would love to do is I would love to have a patio table, a mosaic patio table. My former boss had one and I always absolutely loved it. I don't know that I'll ever actually do it. But that would be that would be got, the ideal piece. You got two daughters all keen on being makers all of a sudden. Get their asses over there and start gluing <laughs> tiles up. I might have to uh, I might have to tell them that. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast or on Patreon. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. I'm at High Caliber Craftsman. Dean is at Dean underscore Duplantis and Christy is at Twisted Twine Woodworking. Lick it, stick it, see you later, bye. On the first tier, we'd like to thank the folks over at Patreon.com. We've got Jacob from Griffin Makes, Jacob from Other Dog Design, Keith Drennan from Blackthorn Concepts, Justin from Bear Maked, Jeff Stein, a weird guy, Dave Bauer, Caitlin Landrino, and Morley Kurt, Greg at Platte Valley Woodworks, Brendan McDonough from McDonough Designs, The Grand Alexander, Jen Griffin, The Black Sheep, Brian from Moonshine Leatherworks, The Makeshift Podcast, Maritime Knife Supply, Henry at HT1 Metalworks, Brad Harrison of Brad's Custom, Steve at One Old School Pirate, Kelsey Watson, Dan Gallagher from Goofballs by Dan, Chris Powell from Full Steam Design, Spaghetti and Waffles, Rebecca Johansson, Ira Housework, Eric from Overall Makerworks, Ed Johns at ButtJoints.com, David Beckwith, Rob DeMarco, Dave at Atomic Airship Works, and Earl the Third XYZ.